everybody you are listening to suds buds presents pints and pixar the podcast where we chat about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage and as always i'm eric anderson and with me in the studio co-host of the show mr nate up <coughs> that was a that was a very gravelly <laughs> wee today i'm parched my friend parched well, I'm glad you mentioned that because we've got a couple tall boys next to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we are drinking beers that may as well be the official beers of Suds Buds because it's got a big old SB on the front of it. Um, but this beer comes to us from Spiral Brewing, which is in Hastings, Minnesota. You were up in that uh, neck of the woods today. Mm-hmm. Getting lunch from the grandpap. Adorable. Yeah, you know. <laughs> he's, uh, he's actually kind of mean to waitresses, but like... He's getting better at it. Not so adorable. Exactly. The, the more we go out, the, like the nicer he is. He's actually started tipping like 20, 25 percent. It's it's pretty nice. Well, maybe you yeah. should tell uh, old Grandpa Roger to listen to uh, some Suds Buds <laughs> presents Pites and Pixar, and maybe he'll be a little nicer to waitresses, a little, <laughs> little happier. That could be. Uh, I'll do my best. I'm working on him. You know. Does he know what a podcast is? Uh, I, I mean, I feel like it's pretty straightforward at this point. Cool. Yeah. So he's a hip old guy. It's a it's a talk show. Sure. I mean, hip is kind of a loose term. He he watches a lot of uh, um, country classic concerts. Um, oh, yep. Very hip. And a lot of golf. Oh, those are, those are his two. Yep. Big Tiger Woods fan. Nice. Yeah. So there it is. Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, f- fun facts on Grandpa Roger. <laughs> That's all we got for today. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for listening to uh, Suds Buds Presents Nate's Grandpa, Roger. <laughs> Great episode. Uh, Good rap. A tale of golf and westerns. He loves the westerns. The amount of times I've seen um, uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen that movie so many damn times. What's the amount of times? Um, I would say it was like a 70% chance he was watching it. Anytime I was over there as a kid. Like, it was always Dang. on the TV. That's a lot of times. Yeah. And well, then, there you go. Uh, what's the last or last stand at Wounded Knee? I think that's the movie. Pretty sure. Sounds or right. Wounded Knee. I don't remember Is which that one. a John Ford movie? Probably. Probably. They all know. are, right? <laughs> Unless the ones that aren't, and then they're Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> exactly. But it's a toss-up between those two. Yeah. Yeah. It's either a Western Western or a pasta Western. An Italian Western? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Spaghetti. Well, shit, man. I feel like we can we can end it here. Grandpa Roger's basically my grandpa now. I doesn't know so much about the guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. You want to you wanna go play some, some some Madden or something? Uh, I'd actually rather drink this beer right now. Uh, yeah, so anyways. I'm going to bring us back on the rails. <laughs> We're drinking the townie. It's a, a Kolsch style ale. Um, we each got our own pints here because we're parched, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a light one, five percent. And uh, yeah, it says clean and crisp, a German style beer with complimentary fruit undernotes. 
excuse me, undertones and aromas. A beer you can indulge in all year long. And they're located, like I said, in Hastings off of 111 Second Street East. Yeah, I, I picked this one. Um, I think we mentioned it before, but we're trying to match or like have a beer in the theme of whatever movie we're watching. And I thought that was going to be a lot easier than it's turning out to be. Um, like we're kind of having to take some walks around. It did dawn on me when I got here that I could have just picked any hop beer and, you know, hopper, hop, it would have been fine. So any beer with hop in the name could have worked. Uh, but touch. I picked townie because the ants in this movie are kind of townies, you know, they don't, they don't leave the island. Um, yeah, not, it's a little bit of a walk to get there, but it's fine. I mostly yeah. just wanted to drink a Kolsch. I don't blame you. It's a good beer for this time of year. I think I did a little better with uh, my beer selection for this mm-hmm. week. I think it's a little more topical, but uh, we'll let the listeners be the judges <laughs> of that. So, But in the meantime, what do you say we uh, we dive into the bug portion of uh, mm-hmm. our show? Little little uh, little plot summary here. Yeah, so we're talking Bugs Life this week. Uh, Pixar's second film. Uh, came out, I believe, 1998. Um, yeah, so that's three years after the first Toy Story. Um, and yeah, got John Lasseter in the game. Gang, mm-hmm. back at it again. Uh, Steve Jobs involved. And uh, he will be... We'll talk about him a lot later on. This uh, For such a lighthearted film, there's some uh, dark stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh during the production of this so uh, the movie there's some pretty dark parts in the movie true true <laughs> like uh we'll get we'll get to those but um but yeah movie opens up um with a like kind of a nature shot and a leaf falls from a tree and lands on the ground where all of these ants are walking um and it kind of establishes right away that the ants are pretty dumb uh, they're just followers. They don't think for themselves. Um, the ants need instruction on how to get around the leaf to continue on their task. Um, then we find out that they're building an offering plate for the for the grasshoppers. Joe would have loved to be there for like that opening dynamic, like grasshoppers show up, like offering protection, like some sort of mob bosses or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it cuts to our main character for the movie, Flick. Uh, he's got this harvester machine he's built himself, um, chopping down whole stalks of grain. And uh, it la- or this empty stalk launches and hits the princess of the movie, yes. uh, Princess Ada. Uh, twice, actually, which is, you know, that, that fun, like, cheap humor, like, gets hit. They finally get her back up, and then it gets hit again. Classic. Yeah. Um, and they're, yeah, a little back and forth. Um, they basically tell Flick to stop trying to help or be creative and just do the work like everybody else. Um, and then the grasshoppers show up. All the ants retreat into the anthill. Flick's a little running behind. And accidentally knocks over the entire offering plate uh, that the ants have put together for the grasshoppers. Yes. And that pretty much sets the whole thing in motion. Um, Grasshoppers come down, uh, threaten a lot of lives. 
And that, again, dark. Real dark. Like, they are straight up threatening to kill the ants. They are, yeah. Threatening them with death and extorting them for basically all their food and resources. Yeah. Pretty dark. Yeah. And I, and like I said, this is first 10, first 10 minutes. Yeah, basically. I think he knocks over the, the offering plate, the, the food. He knocks that into the water probably at like the eight minute mark or something like that. Yeah. And then all the grasshoppers run in, terrorize the group. They've even got like one feral grasshopper. Yeah, that's that's always a little weird to me. Um, yep. Gosh, what was his name? Uh, Thumper. Thumper. Yeah. Yes, I know that now because... Sorry, little side note. Nate and I just got done playing uh, the companion video game to this movie for Nintendo 64, uh, also titled A Bug's Life. And I believe it came out on Dreamcast and PlayStation as well, if you're interested in playing it, which you shouldn't be. Yep. It's not uh, very good. Do not recommend. Yeah, we breezed through like five levels in about, you know, 20, 30 minutes, and then... Nate got all fancy, pulled out a cheap code, uh, went to the final level, and we realized, yeah, this ain't worth it. Yeah, that game is, it's one of those fun games where it's impossibly dark, um, like the, yeah, the lighting is impossibly dark, so it's hard to find your way out, and you pretty much need to play it perfect, or you will lose. Yes. Yeah. So, sorry, Um, all I wanted to say on that, we did extra homework this week, whatever that's worth, um, yeah, we played a bad video game. (laughs) We did it for you guys, okay? <laughs> All of you listening at home. This is why we do it. That's right. Um, but yeah, so you meet yeah the feral grasshopper thumper. Um, grasshoppers take off. They say they'll be back and the food better be ready. And um, yeah, then it cuts to Flick's court hearing. Yeah. 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 Like I said, it just kind of keeps rolling um personality is definitely not a um not a trait that's looked upon fondly within this this town or this village they kind of want everyone just to stay in their place shut the hell up do the work you know stay in your lane yep and that's about it other than flick all these other characters at least the ants kind of all blend together yeah maybe sans princess ada and the queen and dot yeah. That's kind of on her own. That's true. Um, but yeah, so they're at Flick's court hearing, which is, you know, pretty advanced for ants, I would say. Um, and Flick has this idea that he's going to go find help from other bugs to defend against the grasshoppers. The court allows him to do it because they think that he's basically, for one, not going to be around to screw anything up. And for two, he'll probably never come back. With the overtone that he's probably going to die out there. Yep. Yep. So they essentially let him wander off to his death. Um, In fact, the kids on his way out of town are saying, we don't think, or my dad doesn't think you're going to last more than two minutes out there before a bird eats you um, or another bug squishes you. Or the heat gets them. It's like their dads are placing wagers on uh, Flick will die. Flick's fate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but he ends up, yeah, uh, making it across. Probably, maybe my second favorite scene in the movie. Like, when he's riding the dandelion. Like, it's just a cool, it's like an action movie scene. It reminds me of something, like, out of Indiana Jones. There's a cool, like, orchestral cue um, at that moment. Rainy Newman tune. Because it's gotta be. It's Pixar. 
Um, and yeah, I think it was just kind of like a testament to what their um, computing power was at the time with a scene like that. So. Yeah. Uh, I will say it was weird going back to this one after going through all the Toy Stories. Yes. Because like this, the animation is much closer to Toy Story 1's quality. Um, than Toy Story 4. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Just like in the, the water, dude. Like... The water was pretty rough. I mean, water's always been tricky to animate. And now, yeah, I mean, we're doing... And there's a lot of water in this movie. Yeah, but it's just, like, it's so weird how in Toy Story 4, like, that opening scene is rain. And, like, the rain is hitting the toys. And, like, it's soaking Woody's fabric. And it's, like, running off of his plastic surfaces. And in this movie, it's, like, balls. Like, <laughs> water is, like, a... a, a a ball of play-doh and i get it they're a little smaller than the toys but i just thought that was weird that it's like oh if it's in a small amount water is just uh it's like a solid not a liquid in this in this world yeah well and like the know. ladybug is juggling balls of water at one point yes um they they seem to take some liberties with like like they're not size is not consistent in this movie no not at all like flick is taller than the ladybug um but he can also ride on a dandelion, like spore, and dandelion spores are pretty pretty small. Um, yeah. And the it was like two times the height of Flick. But you put a ladybug next to a dandelion spore. I don't know. They they took some liberties, but again, it's a kids movie, and they needed to make it work. Right. <laughs> like, I'm trying not to overanalyze it. But sometimes you get that kind of stuff in your head and you just can't get rid of it. For the time, I think it looked really good. But yeah. yeah. You know, it's a, it's a 23-year-old film now, which is crazy to think about. But Bugs Life can get drunk. Actually, some of the bugs do get drunk in that movie. That's another fun part. Uh, uh, I was talking to producer Salsa Dave about a couple of the bug jokes in this film that... Uh, well, you want to maybe keep going? Because I think those are probably coming up later. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he makes it across the the dried up riverbed, um, and I think yeah, at that point then it just kind of keeps going with him, and he makes it to the Bug City. Yes, um, kind of, and it, that was a really cool scene, like basically the Bug version of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's outside of this little uh, like a trailer. Yes, like there's a big trailer in the background with the Pizza Planet truck proudly parked right outside of it fun fact yeah and actually that uh that same trailer does come up in another movie that same trailer mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. i know the pizza planet truck appears in every single pixar film except for the incredibles hmm. you know they i kind of just assumed i missed it in the incredibles but um no that trailer is actually also in monsters inc interesting yeah okay um but anyway, they, uh, yeah, big New York style city with bugs. Um, and it's kind of funny just seeing all the little gimmicks like lightning bugs are putting the, their, yeah, the light for the, or they're acting as the traffic lights. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, Daddy Long Legs is being like a bus for people. Um, or millip- no, millipedes are being buses. 
I don't know. There's just a whole bunch of weird, fun stuff to watch. The lightning bugs are also acting as the stage lights for the circus bugs, which is what we meet in the next scene. Yes. Um, they kind of put little cones over their, their bums and point, uh, you know, stage lights at the, the, the stage. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did. I did cut. I cut out that part. Or I jumped the scenes here. Um, but anyway. And in that same scene, there's the the bug jokes I was talking about was the 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 poo poo platter with the flies swarming around it and right after that there's uh the waitress is like here's your food hon and gives a, a plate of something to this um slug and the slug eats it and immediately his tongue starts to boil and he's like i thought i said no salt and yeah i thought that was a pretty funny yeah bug joke that maybe five nerdy kids got at the time pretty solid stuff um but yeah then we're we're at the circus um little circus going on in this town and uh that's where we meet a lot of the or the um the tough bugs that flick is going out looking for the warriors the warrior bugs um basically a circus put on by probably my favorite side character uh his name's pt flea yes um and yeah he's hosting he's trying to put on a circus um and basically everything just keeps going wrong um and they're they're losing audience members and they try to do what was the finale called uh flaming death yes just real real right to the point dig it flaming death and pt actually ends up being the one getting burnt in yep. that stunt gets stuck th- or stuck on some fly paper and light it yeah lit on fire which is kind of nice when you see you know the talent gets their payday and uh the promoter kind of gets to eat it which you know that doesn't happen too often well i mean i wouldn't say the talent got their payday considering they all got fired well it's true but they didn't die Hmm? they didn't at least okay i'm sorry that we we must have very different definitions of payday if (laughs) your payday is oh i didn't die i guess neither did pt flea which i don't really understand it's like if he was pt roach it would make more sense Sure, but uh, I mean PT Flea, like it's got some some rhyming, it's got some history, it's it's all sorts of fun. I guess, I guess. Um, Play on PT Barnum yes. Circus for those that didn't get it. Yes, um, Nate's a big circus guy. You uh, can't uh, tell. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know why. Like that joke just got me. Like I remember watching it. Like well, well after I saw it for the first time. And like, yeah, PT Flea. I was like, wait a second, and I found that fact out. I was like, ah, shit, that it's pretty damn good. Um, but yeah, so then the warrior bugs or the circus bugs get fired, and they're in. They go into this bar, and that's where Flick runs into them, um, and through some, just yeah, mishaps and um, weird circumstances. Flick catches the beginning and ending of a fight in which the circus bugs win, um, but in reality, they just got lucky. Yes. Um, and they all run off with Flick. They're under the impression that Flick is bringing them back to the Antel as entertainment, and Flick's under the impression that they're going to fight and kill all the grasshoppers. Yes. Um, let's see, what happened? Oh, yeah, after that kind of cut to oh we cut to the scene in the desert which also part that never made sense to me um so 
We're in the desert in basically a, a bar inside of a sombrero yes. that all the grasshoppers hang out in. And so they're clearly in a desert. There's cactus um, everywhere. So, like, how far are these grasshoppers traveling to, like, come back to this island? Because the island, I mean, those are carnivorous trees. Hmm. So. It's a good point. I got to imagine that the I mean, how do ants I... are much more territorial than the grasshoppers. I mean, they got to be more stationary. They've got their ant hill. They live underground. You know, most of their travel is probably done underground. Sure. Whereas the grasshoppers i guess in theory could travel states maybe maybe not in a quick span of time but you know they could be traveling over water or something sure making day trips well and i mean i guess i don't know what the average distance a grasshopper travels um yeah this is a pixar show not a nat geo show well i mean i'm just curious now but either way like let's say the grasshoppers do just kind of roam all around yeah why do they give a crap about this anthill you know what might be four states away like that just seems like a lot of work to rough up some ants yeah i don't know if it's quite that far but maybe it's like over a waterway or something like that i mean and you know it could be like they're the mafia this is their region they're just going around to collect you know there's probably maybe uh hopper is like maybe there's like a thousand other anthills that he's going around to and uh extorting for their food i mean i guess but like again i don't know it just seems more like a full-time job extorting these people than it's worth but i digress yeah um grasshoppers yeah there's a whole scene where hopper basically describes why he's doing this um basically to keep the ants down it's not that they need the food. It's not anything else. It's to keep the ants below them. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Again, very dark themes. Um, also, I love every time Hopper and his gang move, like they go somewhere, he always just shouts, let's ride. Let's ride. And then they all like basically start their engines and their wings go. <laughs> exactly. Like it's a motorcycle gang. Yeah. Yeah. Love it's a nice that. touch. Yeah. Yeah, definitely dark themes. It's almost like uh, they're really playing on the whole, um, you know, food chain of the animal kingdom and kind of like personifying these tiny animals, these tiny insects in a way where they're like giving them um, very human-like emotions and personality traits and almost giving them like a caste system system that they have, you know, mm-hmm. and um you know the way they do it is kind of like uh i think like i said earlier it's like a mafia basically is what the grasshoppers are and the ants are kind of like slaves in a way or i mean you know maybe you could look at it as uh if you put it like uh back in you know maybe 50s or 60s time maybe they're like factory workers or something like that yeah i mean it it's the the grasshoppers say like early on with like you know we can't make sure that or if we don't get our food we can't guarantee your safety yeah you know um because there's bigger bugs that apparently the grasshoppers are defending the ants against which yeah we all know is not true but you know um but anyway so we cut back to the anthill and flick shows up with the warrior bugs um 
And there's, again, some more misunderstandings and random interpretations of an event uh, that the ants believe that these are warrior bugs. Um, basically, yeah, they save Dot, the, the soon-to-be princess ant. Um, and they put on this whole festival for these bugs. And <laughs> yet some more graphic stuff. Uh, a group of kindergartners or second graders. The second, I think they were second, second graders, grade class. Yeah, the, the blueberries. Yeah. Um, they drew a mural of these bugs of the battle to come on a leaf. Yes. And there's just, it's just gory as hell. Yeah. Like uh, Heimlich, the lovable caterpillar is severed in two. His eyes are X'd out and he's bleeding out. Um, yeah, pretty yeah. pretty brutal stuff. Bunch of grasshoppers on like pikes. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um, yeah, and it's at that point that the circus bugs kind of start to realize it's just a lot more serious than they thought it would be. Big old miscommunication. Yep. Um, so they try to escape, um, and end up kind of getting suckered or they're about to leave and kind of get suckered back in to um, just because they have fans, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and flick kind of then works with them and they try to devise a plan where circus bugs won't have to kill any grasshoppers, but they'll still save the day. That way flick doesn't basically get killed. Yes. By his own ants or grasshoppers. Yes. Yep. A lot of death. Um, they end up constructing a bird. Yeah, a little bit of foreshadowing here, too. Um, before, uh, the scene where Flick was riding the dandelion across kind of that deserty area, um, with the kids watching in the background, um, as soon as he kind of, he, like, hits a rock, touches down on the ground, and immediately there's a bird there that tries to attack him. So I think that kind of foreshadows the bird is kind of like the ultimate predator in this insect world, I think, in a way. I mean, it just, I feel like that creature moves so much differently than everything else. It's definitely like the biggest yeah, like it, thing it's, that we see. It's kind of weird because like the bird doesn't have any sort of personality. No. You know, like all these bugs are getting characters and personality or whatever. The bird is just a killing machine. It's like the, um, the Rancor in like Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, just just there to just there to eat things. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, so they end up constructing this bird because, well, ho- they they try to make it a deal where they're like hoppers scared of birds. I'm like, y'all are bugs. Like you're all scared of birds. Like don't don't try to pin this on one guy. Right. Um. So they set this whole plan up, and then, um. Cool montage. Very cool montage Mm -hmm. when they're building and assembling this thing. I mean, it's more than just like a a decoy. It's like basically a plane. Yep. A manually operated like weird Wright Brothers-esque, you know, contraption disguised as a bird that they're going to use to take down their foes. I mean, it's, it's a really cool scene. And I think the little, uh, musical number that they have just again, another instrumental by mm-hmm. Mr. Dirty Randy Newman. Um, yeah, fits really well. I really, really, it's kind of one of those like fun working songs and everybody's like 
working together in it together you know it's uh gonna take down the power it's i love it man yeah it, it, that, it was a good number um but anyway they're all of a sudden like the warning signs go off that they thunk that think the grasshoppers are back and it turns out it's pt flea again yes uh, pt flea has come to find his circus bugs um and <laughs> another great bit with that he's got two uh box of animal cracker like the circus animal crackers boxes as his circus wagon uh which is just fun yeah um lots of real dumb jokes in this one um and so this is the moment where the ants find out that the warrior bugs are not who they say they are so now everything's kind of out on the table um flick gets banished uh, ends up leaving with the circus and then the grasshoppers show up and basically take the entire town hostage. Yep. Yep. Um, and they're kind of, they're making all the ants work, harvest all the food on the island. And then the circus bugs come back, uh, come back to defend and they get the bird out. Um I wouldn't yeah. even say defend. I think they've kind of, they're rejuvenated to a point where I think they're on the offensive for the first time in the film. Yeah. In a way, you yeah. know, they're not necessarily going to fight them, you know, hand to hand, but mm-hmm. they're going for these grasshoppers. They're, they're going to save their people. I think at this point it's like game on. Yeah. Which I think was kind of cool to see that. Um, it was cool to see the circus bugs for, you know, the first time in the film, not be the most passive and afraid characters and kind of have a little bit of a backbone yeah they they were pretty cowardly well i wouldn't call them cowardly they were just i mean they were trying to stay in their lane too yeah and i think in the way the film kind of portrayed them is maybe i think a lot of times in 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 pop culture or just cinema um artists are portrayed as you know softies frail people people who have you know maybe monstrous egos but are still very fragile and they definitely really pushed that idea like the more i think about it now i think this movie was maybe intended to kind of mirror a but i mean then there's there's like cars then in the bug city though isn't there there's no cars no cars no i mean i'm trying to think because i'm kind of picturing like super early 20th century okay maybe like mm, 30s 40s ish i know i said 50s 60s earlier but just like early 20th century with the the circus themes and kind of the mob themes and you know you could argue that the the colony's kind of working in like a factory almost so okay um that's kind of the vibe i'm getting at sure. least and a big rough gang rough tough gang rolls through you know yeah sure okay maybe like they're starting their hot rods you know or something mm-hmm. greasers big okay i i Hmm. I guess again, that's Pixar, man. They do a great job of making these movies where they take, um, you know, spirits, uh, uh, insects, toys. They bring them to life. They personify them, and they they put them in a world that you can't quite put your finger on where it takes place. You know? Yeah, but like you. Like, the story's not unfamiliar to you. It's never, un- like, it's never, like, oh, what is happening here? 
Like you can kind of see it playing out. Yeah. But it's fun seeing it from like a different perspective or in like a different universe. But it's the same plot that you've known. Yes. Um, Relatable, mm -hmm. even though you can't be like a lot of live action movies like, oh, this is the 90s right away because of the cars. Or, oh, this is the 60s because of how they're dressed. Or, mm. oh, this is post 2000 because everyone's walking around with a, you know, iPhone or something. So. Sure. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I'd, I'd like to look a little more into that. But yeah, you're right. It does kind of have that like, like small town kind of getting extorted for money. Yeah, definitely the gang. But maybe Pixar doesn't want us to know when their films exist because I think the fact that they put a truck that's modeled after like an early '90s Toyota in all their films mm -hmm. that totally breaks whatever world this would theoretically exist in you know what i mean it would have you know it wouldn't be able to exist pre the date that truck was made so suspend disbelief it's a kids movie i guess yeah we might be over analyzing a little bit but sometimes these writers love to like make people think about it that's what we're here to do man drink a few beers over analyze and giggle hey love it <laughs> me too that should be the new phrase of our show uh i'm not even gonna say that <laughs> We'll have to listen back to make sure you quote yourself, right? Yes. Yeah, that seems fair. All right, anyway. Um, the finale, basically. Yeah, the finale. So they get the bird out of the tree, or like the decoy bird. It's starting to work. Um, and then P.T. Flea. Oh, yeah, they had locked up P.T. Flea. Um, he gets out of his locks, or his uh, entrapment, sees the bird, and <laughs> pretty quick thinking, literally lights the bird on fire. Yeah, strikes a match right as the bird's dipping down and lights the bird on fire. And that was very cool how the bird just kind of dived or like dove right down at the grasshoppers, kind of pulled the nose up. And I mean, I think in, in Flick's mind right away, they him and all the, the kids thought it was a successful, you know, mm -hmm. dive until they realized that their feathers were burning. Yes. Which also very dark. If it was just Flick, like, I mean... That's scary, but there's a bunch of second graders in this plane. Yep. And also, why are they sending second graders up to pilot this? I mean, I well, get the it. Second graders were the the resistance before the circus bugs got back. Yeah, they were the only ones that weren't in it. But we saw they've got thousands of ants. Why not send some of these other bozos up that have been doubting Flick the whole time and let them pilot this craft? Let's. Why not just? I mean. Yeah, let's send up all the kids. Like, I, I, I couldn't explain it to you. Uh, you're there's not a good reason. It makes the village even that much less likable. Like, really, I think the only one that I'm really pulling for, I mean, of the ants, other than Flick, is probably Dotty. Yeah, Dot. I mean, Dot. But Dot's just kind of like a yes dot, man. Yeah. yeah, Dot's just a yes man. But she believes in Flick, and you know. Sure. Has an imagination. She can kind of see outside of, you know, just being an ant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, final battle kind of goes down. Um, they're fighting the grasshoppers a little bit. And then Flick takes off um, with Princess Ada trying to get Topper to chase him out of town and leads them straight to the actual bird, um, the bird from the earlier scene. And Hopper thinks it's a fake bird until it gives off a dinosaur screech into his face. 
he gets hopper gets eaten bird for some reason doesn't screw with the ants and um yeah that's pretty much the end and hopper doesn't just get eaten hopper gets dropped into the mouth of a bunch of hungry chicks he gets swiped by the big bird and then brought back to a nest which also i think is even a better comeuppance for him yeah it's again it there's a lot of gruesome parts because like while they they are just bugs they pixar has gone through the trouble to humanize these bugs make them relatable um and then grow then gruesomely kills them like this was just a grasshopper it's like yeah birds eat grasshoppers yeah but we've gotten to know this grasshopper he's maybe evil but he's like a character now they've humanized him and then they tear him apart yeah i mean he tries to commit assisted suicide early in the movie flick he uh when the big horned beetle dim is walking away voiced by uh brad garrett love that man he's walking away um (laughs) raymond Raymond, Deborah, Deborah. Terrible, <laughs> terrible impression. He's got a hard voice to do, it, man. He does. But uh, that character's walking away, and Flick just lays down on the ground and places his foot over him, and he's like, "Just end it. I'm gonna die anyways. Like, just end it." Just... And I'm like, "Jesus, man!" Like Dave Foley asking Brad Garrett to put him out of his misery. Like, this is something like out of a '90s sitcom. Like, not a children's movie yep yeah they just and like i like thinking about the other movies i mean the ones we've watched so far there's some dark thing dark themes but like even going forward i can't really think of that many dark things like i mean they're literally talking about please kill me like in no uncertain terms flick is asking this other bug to kill him yeah yeah like okay i mean they call it squish squish yeah please squish me so gonna, I guess that makes it he's better. He's like, squish me, I'm going to die anyways, or something like that. Yep. What? It's over for me anyway. But yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's pretty much the movie. That's Bugs Life. And then so. they live happily ever after, I guess. Nice little celebration scene at the end where um, we find out that uh, Heimlich, who's always wanted to be a butterfly, hatches out of his cocoon. And he gets some little wings and they kind of help him fly off. And yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much... It's a nice little celebration scene at the end, as Disney's known to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess even as Pixar's known to do. We've gotten that with a lot of the Toy Stories. Yeah, pretty much. There's always, like, a nice, happy wrap-up scene. Yeah. <laughs> There's no cliffhangers in Pixar. They just... They don't roll that way. Yeah. I don't think this wrap-up scene was quite as good as the one from uh, Toy Story 2, where we've got the Robert Goulet number, and we've got, uh, you know, Buzz snapping along. But I will say... Heimlich at the end of this one, the caterpillar. He just he cracks me up. He's my favorite character in this film. My favorite side character. Sure. Um, because I really do want to see Flick succeed throughout the whole film. Flick, I wouldn't say he's like the most likable character, but he's way like, better than like what we got with Toy Story with like a Woody. Yeah, and, and he's also way more self-aware than a Buzz. That's true. So, I think, like, based on the protagonists that we've gotten, like, he's got 75% of the dialogue. I mean, yeah, I would say just about everyone else is very much a side character. Yeah, it's all supporting characters and pretty much all at the same capacity. Yeah. Like, it's kind of just Flick versus Hopper. 
Yep. And then a bunch of other people that just appear. <laughs> they exist, and they kind of just, yeah. And actually, I hadn't thought about that, that there's not like a... Like, obviously, there's always like a main character and side characters, but all of these side characters basically have the exact same amount of screen time. Yeah, and I mean, just... arguably, the side character would be... Or, like, the supporting act, the big one would be uh, a 10-year-old dot. Yeah, that's, that's the only one that I can think of that kind of crosses into both parts of the storyline. Yeah. But, yeah, it was weird. But, uh, yeah, what do you say we review this beer? Maybe take a quick little break and come back with a handful of fun facts. All right. Um. So, yeah, we're just wrapping up drinking a pint of the Kolsch-style ale, the Townie. Which comes to us from Spinal Brewing out spiral. of... Did I say Spinal? You did. Spiral. <laughs> spiral Brewing. It is fun because it just has an SB on it. So it's just Suds Buds. Love it, man. Yeah. Didn't have to work too hard to make the connection there, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, cool can. Kind of a matte, metallic on matte wrap. Um, nice and clean. Yellow. Very summery. I think yellow is a good color for Kolsch. You know, certain beers, you ever get that where it's like, maybe just from like the color of the design on the beer, mm-hmm. you can almost kind of make a connection in your head what kind of beer it's going to be. So, like, ab- absolutely, yeah. Not all um, the time, but like. I would say most of the time, though. Especially like, seasonally with craft beers. Like, if I see a dark brown matte wrap with like black lettering or white lettering in january i'm gonna assume it's a stout or a porter yep you know i will say though like the first time i really noticed that like without like consciously thinking about it was when i got a beer that i assumed was one style and like i didn't read it i just assumed and then it was very very different from what i thought it was going to be um and that just, yeah, it threw me for a loop, and I didn't like the beer. Do you remember what it was? Um, actually, I think it was from Modest. Okay. If I remember Interesting. right. Um, like, the, the can art was coming off as, like, a very light, summery kind of go at something. And it ended up being, like, a lactose-induced Berliner Weiss with, like, coconut and lemon. Yeah, that doesn't like, sound like your jam. No. And, like... I'm sure had I gone into it knowing what it might be. I think I know which one it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about this one before. Yeah. Had I gone into it, like, with an open mind or not having any assumptions, I might have liked it a little bit more. But going into something thinking it's going to be very light and it pours kind of like motor oil, it's not a great feeling. Yeah, I feel you there. Can't always judge a book by its cover. But, uh... Actually, speaking of Modest, I did see on their social media today that they dropped a variant of their Supra Deluxe. I believe it's a lime and sea salt, maybe? I think that was right. Yeah, I looked might, real good. I going to say, I might check that one out. Yeah, if you do, snag a couple, get you back. Well, we'll add it to the fridge. Um. So, yeah, what are, what are you thinking of this one? Anything you're, hmm. you're uh, pulling from it, good or bad? Um... I mean, it just kind of feels like a very standard Kolsch. Um, it's got, like, the nice body. It's still light, but it, yeah, 
still has a good amount of body. It's not just like a slamming kind of thing. Um, not my favorite take on the style. Um, I, I don't know. It just kind of finishes a little almost malty. You getting that at all? Um, Maybe a little bit. I'm getting like cracker for sure, but like not that heavy breadiness. I think it's uh, surprisingly, it's lacking that yeast character that you get from um, a lot of Kolsch's traditional okay. ones. And I'm not getting that from this. I mean, this is like crystal clear, super light. Like, honestly, I could... You gave it to me blind. I might call it as a blonde. Okay. Because, you know, I'm just not getting it. It's it's almost too clean, too light, too simple. Whereas Kolsch almost has a little more heavier mouthfeel, a little more of that yeasty, bready taste, a little more sweetness. Sure. This just kind of seems like it's reminiscent of all those notes of a Kolsch. It's just kind of watered down. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, I guess not all Kolsch's kind of finish on a sweet note. Um, but I do think that the majority do have like a, just kind of a little sweetness right at the tail end. Yes. Something to kind of bring you back in. I'm not getting a lot of that from this one. And there's nothing particularly wheaty about it. Mm-mm. A lot of Kolsch's, um, again, you get, there's a very distinct weedy character that they have um again i think that plays into kind of the the breadiness and stuff like that yeah but uh i mean i got i got nothing against the beer um and as as we discussed on an earlier episode this will be the summer of kolsch's and half of Eisen's. yeah I'm just gonna definitely. drink i'm just gonna drink a shit ton of them a lot of pilsners and lagers mm. for me too See, i gotta go get more of that fair state pills or not fair state um falling knife pilsner uh, but that's besides the point. Uh, I think I'm going to give this one like a probably just a solid three. Solid three. Um, I got no problems with it. It doesn't wow me. Um, yeah, but it, it's drinkable. Um, I would definitely drink it again. Yeah. Um, I think I kind of say like the benchmark I want to say is three is kind of the number if I would buy it again. Mm-hmm. This one I'm a little torn because... I don't know if I would buy it again. I didn't buy it the first time, but either way. Um, But I would drink it again. It's not a bad beer. It's not offensive. It's just too simple to be offensive. Um, That being said, it's not a great Kolsch. It's not a memorable Kolsch. I'm putting it at 2.8 with a would drink again. Probably not going to buy again just because I know what's up and there's there's enough other Kolsches out, um, out there that I... You know, this yeah. isn't one that I'm going to be jonesing for. Yeah. So. There's there's a lot of very, very good Kolsch's. Yeah. Not bad, though. Not yeah. bad. And I, this isn't the first beer I've had from Spiral. I had something else from them. I don't remember what. I feel like it was a sour, though. I guess I've never had a sour from them. They did a hazy with Lake Monster a while back. That was pretty good. And if not a sour, I feel like it was definitely a fruited beer. Okay. But I remember getting this can wrap. Yeah, it, that's like their standard wrap, and then they just change the color. The color variants. And yep. I think maybe even the the shapes in the background as well. Probably. Those are very subtle. 
Yeah. I actually didn't even notice until like the second or third time I saw a can. I was like, oh shit, there's stuff on it. Yeah. Almost kind of like an Aztec like line work. Yeah. It's nice. Just simple. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a simple beer. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So uh, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with a- another beer review and our favorite part of the show. Fun facts. Eric's Fun Fact Corner. We're going to get a better name for it, I promise. Yeah, we'll work on that. We'll be right back. We're losing the audience. You clowns, get out there now. I hate performing on an empty stomach. What's up, everybody? And thank you for sticking with us. You are listening to Suds Bugs, the show where we talk bugs life. (laughs) And good buds. Suds. Excellent. Uh, Yeah. Cracking into our next uh, zesty foamer. Mm. We've got the... Indeed. 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 Indeed Brewing Company. Yes. Their uh, Mexican Honey Light Lager. It is a product of the UFC. UFC. (laughs) It is an official product of the UFC. No, it's a product of the US of A, as it says on the can for some weird reason. Um, Because I guess they're technically not Minnesota anymore. They have a Milwaukee location. Yes. They're not exclusive. Um... But yeah, it's a lager brewed with honey, orange, and for some reason I don't remember lime peel. Does the Mexican honey heavy have lime peel? I would assume that this is just a, I mean, it has to just be a light version of the Mexican honey. Because the only downside, and it's hardly a downside of Mexican honey, is that it's big. I mean, I think it comes in at like 8%. I think they do it in 16 ounce cans, like four packs. Like that, (laughs) that shit will get you going. But it it looks light. Yeah, it looks light, it tastes light, and it gets you drunk by accident. Well, um, we're doing the light version. I think we've drank the full flavor on the show, but we are kind of, um, you know, kind of clean slating it for the beer reviews. We've still got the old reviews, but uh, I think this season we're kind of going to be ranking it independently, the yeah. beers we drink. And also, it's kind of, again, it's kind of hard to find. <laughs> like, it was a little walk, I mean, a little walk for this one. There's not even a B in the movie Bugs Life yeah um uh, but yeah whatever it's fine yeah but i think i win for the bug connection i, so. mm, I don't know oh yeah because there's a nice not, bee on the can not that towny is i don't know the bugs are townies that's why i did it it was fine i was in hastings i thought i should support local and here you are shaming me on air and bonus points because i could have also picked this one for uh coco and i might Ooh. so eric hates supporting local spread it around hashtag cancel eric but anyway uh but anyway so yeah indeeds mexican honey light indeeds out of minneapolis minnesota and uh yeah they brew some damn good beers shout out to ben guest of the show um man way back in the first season mm-hmm. and uh yeah he's now no longer at bald man but still brewing fantastic beer in the Twin Cities area. Now he's over at Indeed, so shouts out. Um, But without further ado, what do you say we dive into Nate's favorite part of the show? Love it. Nate, you're going to follow along with me on your fun facts? (laughs) So Eric finally did what I've been asking him to do, which is to redact all the fun facts on my copy of our sheet that we go through. But I left one fun fact on there. Yeah, he left one fun fact. Um... He found the words Nate and then is uh, about five lines down. And then three lines down from that is trash. And it's funny because none of those are even on my outline. 
<laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> you grabbed the wrong redacted paper, I guess. Apparently so. Um, but yeah, so all I've got for this segment is Nate is trash. Yeah, my whole thing is all about grassy knoll stuff and steel beams and <laughs> man, there's there's a a hyperlink here to a, a Sasquatch video. <laughs> A hyperlink on a printed piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. All right, Boomer. <laughs> Maybe do your homework, man. Hey, this, as we've discussed, it's more fun if it's redacted. <laughs> All right. We've wasted enough time. We know what you came for. You came for the fun facts. Did you know this film was inspired by Aesop's fable, The Ant and the Grasshopper? Um,. So Aesop's Fable, if anyone knows, um, I mean, everyone should. Aesop Rock. Very cool, but yep. but no, not the same. Although I'd be willing to bet Aesop Rock read Aesop's Fables, because that man has quite the vocabulary and yes, is quite does. the storyteller. But uh, yeah, Aesop's Fables, think of it as kind of like, uh, you know, the OG quintessential children's book of, you know, little lessons and I don't know. Stories about critters geared towards kids and young adults about, you know, usually containing an overarching message about, um, you know, living your life in a in a better way. Was his the frog and the scorpion? Probably. I believe so, yeah. yeah. That would make sense. Rabbit, the rabbit, or the hare and the turtle. Tortoise and the hare. Tortoise and the hare. Mm-hmm. It's a classic one. Yep. Um, yeah, a lot of them, but probably one of those books that's i mean i'm sure it's still in print in various forms and it's probably on its hundredth edition by now but uh i remember having a copy of it as a kid some cool pictures i don't think i ever did i always had uh old disney books like they're like maybe eight pages long and they're sure. a hardcover which just had a ton of them i know exactly what you're talking about yeah like they're all like a matte like pastel color kind of yep yeah the bindings lined up real nicely yes yeah it was a very clean set. I would still be able to spot, like, if I saw two of those next to each other. Because, I mean, they're very thin. Yeah. But if I saw, like, two of them next to each other on a shelf, I'd be able to know what it was Yeah. right away. Um, but, yeah, so uh, Ant and the Grasshopper, Old Tale. Um, this movie was also closely, um, or I should say closely resembles uh, the plot of the 1954 classic film The Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. Um, and in that film, it's basically about a story about a village uh, under attack by bandits. And the d- bandits are demanding um, food from the village dwellers in like a form of compensation. And this goes on until the village has basically, you know, had enough. And they go outside their area and hire some samurai to defend the village. So very close plot. Um, and then that was later... Um, that same story was kind of uh, the inspiration for, I believe, the um, Magnificent Seven. Oh, yep. I think was basically the same type of thing. Group of people. Which was then the um, then the inspiration for Adam Sandler's attempted joke on that, The Ridiculous Six. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, and it is a good, I mean, it's a classic plot that I think we kind of talked about. You can apply to... A number of time periods i mean it hits deep it's like you know it's yep 
an exploited group of people reaching out for help from the outside. Basically, there's always a bigger, bigger, badder person out there to help. Yeah. And sometimes it's not always about the the brawn that uh, wins the fight at the end. Sometimes it's about the, uh, you know, the bird, the bird. Hey, got him. <laughs> got him. All right. Um, so, oh, man, I think so. This is a big one. This is kind of I'm going to save this one for a little bit down the line. This will be our final fun fact. Um, but did you know that the Pizza Planet truck, as I mentioned earlier, also appears next to the mobile home when the bugs fly into the bug zapper? Um, yeah, like I said earlier, appeared in every film except for The Incredibles, I believe. I'm trying to think what it was in Cars. I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'd be willing to bet it's in the junkyard in one of them. Uh, yeah, because I don't think they would take the time to, or they, I don't think they'd want to make it, like, it seems like they like to hide it a little bit. Yeah. They also, I think they put that, um, that... Like ball, the ball with the star and the red stripe around it. Yes, that, that one's in a lot of them. That's in a few movies as well. Yeah. Um. This was also the first Pixar film to be released on DVD. Yeah. And uh, a big formatting thing was made with this being the first one on widescreen. Um, big aspect ratio change for home video, and that was also kind of with the introduction of um. You know, I think at this point, um, projection screen TVs were becoming more of a thing versus like the CRT tube TVs. And while the picture quality might not be as good on a projection screen, the um, basically going to a more like oblong rectangular shape versus like a, a kind of a nice cube mm. um, and also phasing out uh, tape as the primary, primary source of like uh, home video. And going to disc, it allowed for um, uh, a change in aspect ratio. So, and I, I don't remember the exact numbers. I should because I'm the film guy here. But I'm say, are you a are you a full screen guy or are you a widescreen guy? It depends. Um, I think there's something really charming about watching like an old VHS tape and seeing that letterbox look. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes for old TV shows, like if you're watching, like you talked about how your grandpa likes old westerns. Yep. I stand by the fact that, like, Bonanza needs to be watched, like, in Letterbox. If I'm seeing Bonanza, like, black bars, widescreen, super HD, like, it's going to be jarring. So I think I kind of like to watch things for their time. Hence, I have a huge VHS collection. Um, like, 80s horror movies. Love Letterbox for those. Mm -hmm. Um but like an 80s action movie, for example, if I'm watching uh, Terminator or Cliffhanger, I like the widescreen. Okay, so... I like the black bars if it's like a intense, epic action film. Okay, so your preference is like, it's widescreen if it was made where it could be both. Like, it, like um, I mean, there's plenty of DVDs that were out where like you could buy, like they would come in a two disc set. One would be full screen, one would be widescreen. Or you could select your aspect ratio. Um, yeah, again, probably depends on the film. Probably widescreen if it's if it's like an action movie. But if I'm just watching like, if I got American Pie on DVD, probably just gonna go with the classic full screen on that. I mean, you're probably too drunk to change it if you're watching American Pie. <laughs> true, true. But like comedies, yeah, no need for widescreen. Like I feel like it's a weird mental thing, but I feel like the thinner the picture gets 
the more serious I feel like I have to take it versus when I see like, you know, that kind of, it fills my square TV up. But it's like, that's what I think of when I think of like a lot of 90s comedies and stuff. Sure. Like, it's not so much about the picture as it is like the goofy shit that they're doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, movies where there's cool, like, um, environment scenes, like a Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's like I've got the VHS, which is probably Letterbox. Mm-hmm. I've got, you know, streaming services where I can watch that widescreen. Probably would rather watch that widescreen. Anything with a helicopter, way Wide, cooler widescreen. Yeah, widescreen for sure. So, hot takes. Sorry if we bored you. We're talking aspect ratio on a beer podcast. What the fuck is going on? I mean, it's, it's a movie thing. It's fine. Whatever. Get off our back, people. I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. You're all very valued. We love you. Especially um, you. You know who you are. You know. Um, I liked this fun fact. Uh, so did you know that Jerry's Game was the little Pixar short that played before the theatrical version of A Bug's Life? And Jerry's Game is a fun one because it is one of the first little Pixar shorts to air before a movie. It might be the first, actually. Um, I know Toy Story, I think, had some different ones for different regions. But, um, yeah. Anyway, Jerry's game. He, uh, This guy, Jerry, is a chess player in this short film. But he's also, we find out, a uh, a fixer. He's yep, a tinkerer. A, t- a toy repairman. He's a toy repairman by hire. And, uh, yeah, we see him in Toy Story 2. He's the guy that uh, Big Al contacts and has him stitch up Woody. Gonna, so. gonna be honest um we I've, I've been watching these on disney plus um that's why i've been getting or watching these pixar movies just because they're all there same not a fan that they don't put the shorts before the movie me too like i i know that they have nothing to do with each other but i really want to watch the short before the movie they are all on there yeah but it's like if you start looking into which short is tied to which film it gets kind of muddy. It's not as simple as I thought. It's um, it's very regional based. It's sometimes it was a different short that was, um, screened before the, in theaters versus what you got on home video. Sometimes you only got the short on home video. So, but I agree. I wish they tied it in with the film. Yeah. On the streaming app. But I suppose with the streaming app, it'd be a lot more work to like okay, you guys are, you're streaming it from this region, so this is the short that's going to follow it. Yeah. But either way, I like the shorts, but I also, I feel like if I watched one, I'm probably going to end up watching like four or five of them. Yeah. And a, and a go, and yeah, it's, it's the whole thing. Like, for example, Jerry's Game, I don't think was on the UK release of this film, but then came out on the UK it wasn't in the UK theatrical release, but okay. was on the VHS. It's like weird regional stuff, you know. We talked about, and maybe two episodes ago, how um, there was a, a, a song that was changed in oh, yeah, Toy yeah, Story yeah. 2, you know, in a different country. So it's it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work to begin with, this whole animation process. But when you're getting a different movie, depending on where you live geographically, it's like, whew, it's wild. Seems unnecessary. I agree. Um, so did you know that P.T. Flea was Nate's favorite character, <laughs> as well as actor John Ratzenberger's favorite character? Um, 
So yeah, he's basically uh, John Ratzenberger, one on the record, saying that P.T. Flea is his favorite character that he's portrayed at this point in a Pixar film. And his reason being was just uh, that he was a very eccentric character. He was someone that he got to be, you know, he got to really play a character different than himself. He said just playing kind of a, a spaz, more or less, you know, playing someone who was constantly just boiling. He said it was just really fun. It allowed him to be eccentric, get out of his shell and, um, you know, take some liberties. So I thought that was kind of fun. It's always fun to hear that actors had fun playing their characters. Exactly. You like to think that they all enjoy everything that they do, but that's probably not the case. Um, yeah, P.T. Flea, he's a great character. It's just, like, he's never not him. He doesn't learn any lessons. Like, he is just always him forever. Like, even when he lights the bird on fire, the bird that's full of the main character and a bunch of small children, he has no regrets. He's like, no. I did what I needed to do. I thought it was a real bird. That's not my fault. And he's too dumb to even be, like, an antagonist. He's just kind of like a nuisance in the plot. Yep. But also very funny. Yeah. Um, so did you know that uh, Gypsy, who was the um, the moth, it was uh, she was voiced by Madeline Kahn. And unfortunately, it was uh, Madeline Kahn's last uh, voice acting role before her unfortunate passing in 1999. And she was... Uh, Actress whose career spanned a number of decades, uh, did some voice acting later in her career, and was also a frequent collaborator with uh, Mel Brooks. So, um, I remember I looked at her credit list today. She's been in a lot of stuff. I've seen a few of her things. Um, I'm trying a blank on which uh, Mel Brooks project she was in, but uh, yeah, I do remember like her career spanned like I want to say from the '60s to like through the '90s. So. Yeah, rest in peace. Um, you think that'd be weird, like, if you were, like, you're a family member of, like, a, not even necessarily, like, recently deceased, but, like, they're in, like, a movie, like, a very popular movie, even just The Voice. Like, I don't think I'd be able to, like, I don't know, it'd be weird watching that again. You're saying watching... Like, watching a movie that you're, de like, an animated movie, even that your deceased family member voiced. If it was recently deceased, I think it would be really tough. But I mean... I think, but like, even if it wasn't, not even necessarily tough, I feel like it'd just be super weird, like, well after the fact. Yeah, probably. Because, like, it's not, it's not like seeing a picture right. or something. Like, this is a whole dang thing. Yeah. Man. I don't know. That's like a weird... Yeah, weird. I don't know. The movie's full of dark shit. We we got we got there. Sudsbud's talking about mortality. <laughs> I mean, the Toy Story movies did it. This one did it plenty. Um, so this is a weird one, and I don't. I didn't double check this one, but I'm kind of wishing I would have. But we're gonna throw it out into the ether and see what you think. Um, so Dim, who was the rhinoceros beetle. Uh, he wasn't actually based on a real variety of rhinoceros beetle. It was kind of just a fictional character, a fictional animated creature. Um, but in 2016, a variety of rhinoceros beetles with a horn like his were discovered. 
And such discoveries in the insect world um, of creatures that are created as fictional and then later revealed to have subsequently... Like, or they exist. We they exist. We just didn't know they existed. Yeah, it, it's called the dim effect. Really? Yeah. Okay. So... That's one of those, like... It's you, a weird you could... thing to Google, though. Like, I was, like, trying to figure out, like... and I, it, it was on an IMDb trivia thing, and I was like... I don't... That's cool. I don't but... know how much IMDb really fact-checks their stuff, but... Um, it is crazy. Like if you look up how, like how many species of bugs are found every year, like it's an every year thing. So it's not all that uncommon, like not all that unreasonable to imagine that a bug is found that looks or yeah, a bug is found that looks like something that we made up. It looks Um, like it is legit coined, uh, the dim effect by its discoverer. Brett C. Radcliffe, the man who discovered uh, Megacaris brain saltini, which was a Peruvian rhinoceros beetle with a horn surprisingly similar to that of the character Dim from Pixar's animated film, A Bug's Life. So that's weird. That is super weird. The Dim rhinoceros beetle. Huh. I mean... Oh, rhinoceros beetles are I, I mean there's there's a lot of different variations on them um but like what was the what was that old cart it wasn't even a cartoon it was a live action show uh beetle boards yes yeah, yeah, yeah and they all were like a different beetle and it was like they all had some cool ass horns yeah so no doubt probably stands to reason that there's one i mean if we have rhinos like with a just a single horn it stands to reason that there's probably a bug with it i think that was a safe bet on the animators part and they got lucky probably right yeah and now they got a whole thing named after him plus uh steve jobs was involved in this project and i'm not gonna believe that steve jobs just stumbles upon things i believe that he was using siri well before we even knew what a siri was <laughs> he was siriing things on the set of toy story or during the production of toy story can you imagine how like weird that'd be? Like, they're not even—they don't even really have cell phones, and he's just got this box and he says things into it and it just gives him answers. Well, at that time he's probably like walking around holding a Macintosh like a boombox, just with a PA like following him around with a generator, and he's just like voice to to speak type thing. <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. That's probably fair. Black turtleneck and all. Well, always the black turtleneck. <sighs> what a crazy dude um so yeah that brings us to our next fun fact here uh did you know that editor lee unkrich who we've talked about before and discussed how i will never know how to pronounce his name but uh he revealed that they considered calling the film bug story but uh coming on the heels of toy story one the first toy story they were worried that people would expect pixar to use the story naming convention for all their films and good call on you lee because uh Bug story, oh. not not as good. I'm just going to go through. I mean, monster story would be fine. Incredible story, incredible story too. Finding yeah. Nemo story. Yeah, fish story probably. Up story. Uh, yeah, up story. Um, rat story. <laughs> rat, yeah. Rat. Actually, no, I'd, I'd like to go back. I would love to know. 
I'd love Ratatouille to be called Rat Story. Yeah. <laughs> that probably wouldn't have sold super well. Starring Joe Pesci. <laughs> this you, is a rat story. You dirty This rat. is a rat story. I can't do a You're, Joe Pesci either. You are not doing good on impression. You tried to do a... Uh, Things we found out tonight. Yeah. I cannot do Brad Garrett's or Joe Pesci. You're... But I don't think most can. Your Steve Buscemi wasn't great either. Okay, but, but now we're just naming people that are really hard to do. I'm not saying they're not hard to do. That's like I, criticizing someone because they have a bad Christopher Walken. Everybody's got a bad Christopher Walken. Yeah. Everyone has it. They're all bad. Let's hear your Christopher I'm Walken. I'm going to do it. It's say, bad. Say everybody's bad, got a bad Christopher Walken in your Christopher Walken. I'm not going to do it. We're not We're not hitting end record until uh, <laughs> I hear it. I'll, I'll mentally prepare for it. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll do my woo. We need to give the listeners what they need, Nathan. I feel like you just want it. I want to hear you bad sure. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. That was pretty bad. Yeah. Well, See, well, we'll I'm s- 0 for 3 tonight, but I'm trying, man. We'll we'll circle back to it. All right. All right. I'm watching you. <laughs> Can't have that out in the ether. So this brings us to our final fun fact, and it's a spicy one. Um, we're running a little long here, so I don't want to take too much time on it, but there's a lot you can read. I mean, this thing's got its whole own wiki. Um, basically, during the production of A Bug's Life, a very public feud began between Steve Jobs and John Lasseter of Pixar versus DreamWorks co-founder Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, Basically what happened was former president of Pixar passed in the 90s and there was some controversy about um, the way that Katzenberg was kind of um, handling this and kind of, you know, anxious to know who the the new president was going to be. And there was a big falling out and he ended up leaving Pixar in the late 90s and starting up his own animation studio known as DreamWorks, which um, launched with their first big film, Prince of Egypt, but later went on to do, I mean... They got some real bangers on that list. Yeah, I think they did um, the the Madagascar films. I'm pretty sure they did Ice Age. Um, you've got Shrek. I mean, if it was CGI in the late 90s, early 2000s, and it wasn't Pixar, good chance it was DreamWorks. Um, but anyways, things got real spicy because, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg was in on a lot of the writer's rooms and talks about, um, Pixar's next upcoming project. And when he left and started his own animation studio, he got some big players involved. We're talking David Geffen of music fame, um, as well as Steven Spielberg. So he was definitely ponying up some big players and some big big money cats uh to go against steve jobs which is no easy task and uh yeah basically he decided that he was going to make his own computer animated film with his new animation studio titled ants and was also going to get some big names in it and was going to kind of go with a more adult tone um and basically they put a bunch of money into it there's some questionable things allegedly about maybe some bribery about them getting their release date pushed up and uh, yeah basically the film that some would argue ripped off bug's life ended up releasing before bug's life 
And that, of course, really pissed off Pixar, specifically Lasseter and Steve Jobs, who took that as a huge personal insult, especially from someone like um, Katzenberg, who they considered a colleague and a close friend. And, uh, yeah, you know, Katzenberg's kind of denied a lot of stuff, kind of brushed off a lot of stuff, um, which, I mean it's hard to villainize an animator too much, but at the same time, I mean, I also don't want it to sound like John Lasseter's a good guy because I think there's a big difference in ripping off somebody's work and uh, sexually assaulting somebody in the workplace. I mean, let's yeah, be honest here. But Neither are good guys here. At the end of the day, what it boils down to is in the late 90s, there was a very expensive, very loud public feud between a bunch of billionaires over the creation of two children's films and uh whose film was going to come first and basically the results were that bugs life brought in a lot more money than ants did and both were pretty well critically received but i've heard a lot of people arguing that looking back at both films after 20 years bugs life holds up a lot better than ants ants is a weird one like I mean, we've talked about how Pixar movies age pretty well. Um, Ants, it's not like there's anything, like, super bad about it. It's just, I don't know. Um, And there's plenty of gruesome stuff in Ants that, yeah, Bugs Life also did. But Bugs Life just doesn't have that, like, timeless kind of feel. Or not Bugs Life, Ants doesn't have that kind of timeless feel. Um, Right. Like, it feels more like a movie that just existed like you, the Bugs Life story is just a lot more relatable, and especially because, as we talked about, they do a good job of like taking it out of any time. Like you're not exactly sure when things are happening. Ants is a little more tellable when things are going on. Um, I mean, there's like the whole picnic scene if you've seen that movie recently. Yep um not recently but i remember it pretty well there's there's a lot of really fun scenes in ants but i would weird casting decisions too like woody allen as the lead in a children's film is kind of like yeah really bizarre and stallone playing an ant that kind of looks like stallone yep i think jennifer lopez is kind of supposed to play like a a sexy ant it's just like it's it's there's some stuff that feels very like just kind of tone deaf and also like kind of a movie without a real like identity like i don't really know they were like let's you know let's make things violent and and sexy and make it that'll make it adult which will make it better and i mean i think maybe they were trying to go with like the if adults like this movie more but it's still a children's movie we'll make more money because the the kids don't have any freaking money that's like that that's like a weird part that um like children's studios have to grapple with is like you either the kids either have to love this and pester their parents enough or you need to make the parents like oh this is pretty funny like it's fun whatever and then they'll because yeah they're they're the ones with the money that's what they needed yeah um ants was just like a i don't know it's fun but it yeah it doesn't hold up as much it doesn't quite have the rewatchability yeah um it's just i don't know it feels more like a spite movie yes and i encourage anyone listening to go check out ants and also read a little bit for yourself about this uh feud because i know we kind of went through it here but 
even reading someone like their back and forth like i didn't get too much into like the quotes but i mean there was stuff that they put in their books and stuff they said in interviews i mean they were they were definitely punching down on both ends and it was pretty petty at the end of the day but again when there's tech moguls with a lot of money at stakes i mean they're all but going for blood and guts so and what do we have to show for it two movies about ants and an iphone (laughs) and an iphone i guess yeah sure it uh weird fallout from that very weird fallout but tell you what man we were gonna try to breeze through this all in this segment but this uh mexican honey is running through me I got to take a quick little break. I don't know about you. We're going to be right back for a couple facts about the music, our final thoughts on the film, and our review on Indeed's Mexican Honey Light. La 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 la, springs in the air, and I'm a flower with nothing interesting to say. Ah! A bee! I am a cute little bumblebee! Ah! Here I come! Ah! 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 Slow down, you flowers! Oh, candy corn! Here, let me help you to finish it! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the final segment of Suds Buds. Suds Bugs. Suds Bugs. I, uh... Yeah, I'm back after a safe visit to the little boys' room and ready to talk some, uh, Randy Newman. Mm-mm-mm. Because that man is a powerhouse, and, uh, you know... If he's going to do all four Toy Stories, he might as well do Bugs Life, too. Uh, so he wrote an original song for this film... Uh, Time of Your Life, which is a nice little jam. Yeah. Probably going to be our closing tune for this week, because we don't have a whole lot else to choose from. He, uh, wrote that one. That was the only tune for this movie with lyrics. Um, the other 19 songs were just orchestral cues, um, for the soundtrack, so. Yeah, they, I feel like they got a, kind of bit off a little more than they could chew with the first one, and then... Like, okay, yeah, we're, we're just going to do orchestral stuff. Yeah, dial it back. Yep. No need for three musical numbers every Pixar film. Exactly. That's that's more of a Disney thing anyway. Yes, definitely. Actually, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but that's like one of the biggest tells between Disney and Pixar um, studios is that Disney movies always have like sing-along numbers and Pixar movies never have them. Yeah, are the king, the characters singing throughout the whole film? Yep. Yeah totally and it's even harder to tell now as more disney animated films are going like the that cgi route where you have films like moana that look like pixar films but are very much more like that disney musical feel yeah or like do you remember when big brother came out or little brother the bear movie i think paddington no, I Paddington think it's two. the Disney movie Little Brother. I think it's about oh, the bears. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Brother Bear. Brother Bear, my bad. Yeah. Uh, Brother Bear was, like, right at that turn where Disney movies started to do the computer animated style. I remember some stuff in that movie with, like, the Northern Lights and things like that. And it was, like, I mean, that movie is probably, like, 2004. And it was, like, whoa, CGI. Like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Not a Pixar movie. No. Musical. Also, dope Phil Collins soundtrack in that movie. I don't know if I ever watched that movie, to be honest. It The first one's a good one, and then I think it got like the direct-to-video treatment for the sequel. But Those ones always hurt. But anyways, we're not talking Little Brother Bear. <laughs> we're talking Big Brother Bear, 
aka ants aka a bug's life yes 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 <laughs> uh and i don't have a lot of notes here about the music man the last uh, note i've got here is that the score won the grammy award for best instrumental composition so i am shocked i tell you shocked yeah it, it was good man i uh yeah, andy randy newman's sick of winning grammys yeah <laughs> he's like oh, cool guys got another one awesome or does he have like a huge shelf that he just like mark like leaves a space for his next one like does he know how many grammys he's gonna win i feel like he does something really weird with them he's got them arranged in some weird way <laughs> he melts them down turns them into like a toilet he like uses them as hood ornaments for his giant vintage Fiat collection or something like that. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Something yeah. real out there. Yeah, I I believe that. Um, yeah, weird dude. Just I don't know. I feel like I mean it's just so crazy to think about someone who had a long career before 1995, which is the first Pixar film. I mean he was probably 50 at that point already late 40s i would guess and you know already had some hits and i mean we've talked this is our fifth episode and there's already a hundred randy newman songs like i mean if he's doing uh, 20 tracks of film yeah i mean what a great way to make your money though dude like he's probably working really hard I would guess, you know, one month out of the year, probably watching this movie a bunch of times, watching certain scenes a bunch of times and playing along. And I'm sure he's got, you know, his band with him as well and probably some sort of a a technician, um, probably someone from Pixar there kind of, you know, guiding him along. Mm -hmm. But I mean, still, he's got to be making a hefty chunk of change. I mean, paying his bills off of one film a year, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, Pixar puts out a movie at this point once every, like, two or three years. That's well, kind of been their M.O. for a while. Every, like, two or three years. Basically enough time to sell all the merch and all the other crap for it, put it on a streaming service, and then on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you if you don't want to continue touring and, like, writing your own material, which I'm sure he did, you could basically just be, like, the Pixar band leader, more or less, you know? <laughs> Just I mean, a studio musician specifically for Pixar. Yeah, effectively, that's what yeah. Randall Newman is. <laughs> they keep you in the Pixar compound until they're ready for you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess while we're chatting music and we don't have a lot here, I just want to note that I think uh, the score feels very different in this versus what we got from Toy Story, specifically the first Toy Story. Yeah, it is weird because like the two and three. For Toy Story, definitely were more along these lines. Yes. But this movie was a lot closer in age. So, like, Toy Story 1, we had how many original, like, full-on original? We had three or four? Three, yeah. Three or four original songs. And this one, we had one. And it kind of continues down that path. Um, I think Monsters, Inc. has one. Um, I don't... I don't I guess I, don't, I can't think of any in like Finding Nemo or anything. Um, Ratatouille might have one. I just think no, for I feel like, like it's less and less every time. Yeah, yeah, like one a film maybe. Yeah, 
But I just, I guess the, the thing I was getting at is I just think even though these scores are all done by Randy Newman, I mean, let's just look at Toy Story 1, Bugs Life, and the first Monsters, Inc., which we'll talk about more next week. Um, all Randy Newman scores, all very different in production. Like, the first Toy Story, very kind of uh, folksy, a um, lot, uh, lot of strings, a lot of... Uh, piano just kind of a you know and then then we had that one rock song with strange things whereas bugs life is much more orchestral much more grand much more epic i feel like um a lot of horns and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um and then monsters inc which you can probably school me on what style of jazz it is but it's a much more kind of like this noodly you know kind of almost like improvisational cool like lounge jazz Mm -hmm. that we kind of have for this whole soundtrack all three done by randy newman and i think all three fit their own films very nicely yeah um it is i don't know it's it's an interesting thing like how much of the movie was done before he got his hands on it and how much because as you talked about earlier like a lot of Pixar is done just like block by block. They don't necessarily, it's not your normal layout for those. It is where the normal layout, it's like, here's the entire script. Here's how everything's going to go. And they just kind of build layer on pawn layer. Whereas this is chunk. It's all linear. Um, you know, they make the first couple scenes and they kind of use that to shape where the next ones go. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know. It's it's tough to say how much his music would have shaped these movies in production. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not an animator. You kind of have talked about how you're pretty comfortable with graphics, but you're mm-hmm. you know pretty new to animation, uh, digital animation. Um, but yeah, for all I know, I mean, maybe he's watching a complete movie or a complete scene. Maybe he's. Um, you know, composing music to storyboards, which could also very be much be a possibility. I, I don't know. It's a process that I admire so much, but is so foreign to me. So exactly like one of those things that like you'd be a fly on the wall and you'd have no idea what's going on until the end of it. Yeah, and that it all makes sense retroactively. Yeah, yeah, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't want to ruin a good thing and step in and mess up their work, so I'll uh, I'll leave it to the pros and. Uh, I will stay in my lane as an admirer. It's kind of like, I'm not a wrestling guy, but as uh, Rock the Dwayne Johnson used to say, uh, know your role and shut your mouth. And And, uh, can you smell what the rock is cooking? Yes. You know, rocks don't cook. That's just science. And uh, it doesn't matter what your name is. (sighs) If you smell what the rock is cooking. Candy ass. Jabroni. I don't, did he ever say jabroni? Did he ever okay, say jabroni? He was the jabroni. Jabroni beaten. Pie eating. Star in a movie. Catch a pass. Still be able to whoop your candy ass. <laughs> These are excellent and I love it. Um, yeah. No, no notes. No notes there. <laughs> excellent. Please. <laughs> Everyone loves Rock the Dwayne. What a great smile that lad has. Oh gosh. Um, I wish I 
kind of while we touched on Moana, um, apparently his daughter didn't believe that he was um, Maui in that movie. Dude, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, apparently she's still a little, uh, little suspicious, but she's kind of bought it now. Yeah, I heard there was something about with like him playing the music around his daughters, some sort of a story about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I yeah. love Moana, dude. That movie is so good. Yep, that one's great. Uh, I think it should be much more popular than Frozen, but for some reason, kids love the Frozen movies. Moana's better. Just I've never seen Frozen. In, in and every Frozen, aspect, Moana's better. I might not ever see Frozen. Frozen, to me, is going to exist in the same realm that game of thrones exists in where there is no potential for me to enjoy this this product even to even get close to the hype that surrounds it so yeah therefore i just i'm not gonna dive into it it'll it'll only hurt you yeah yeah frozen i could take three hours out of my life and be able to tell you if i get it or not but Mm. (laughs) i am not devoting half a year uh, just to report back and tell you what I think of Game of Thrones. That's a big old no for me, dog. That was me with Tiger King. I never got around to it, and at this point, there's no point for me to do it. Yeah, almost too late to the game now. If it was a few months ago, or if like there was big breaking news surrounding that film, mm. but yeah, at this point, I think that ship has sailed. You're not missing out on any anything. Nope. But hey, man, we're running long. We're talking Tiger King on a Pixar <laughs> podcast. This is a children's show. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it, Bobby. <laughs> uh, what do you say we uh, we get to the, the suds part of uh, our finale here? Yeah. Um, well, Mexican honey light for me. I mean, it's, it is... I love Mexican honey. Like, I can't recommend that beer enough. Um, it's just really well done. I also try to not overdo it with that beer just because I don't want to ruin it for myself. Um, it's just a fun treat every time I get it. I'm going Mexican Honey Light. I'm going to go like three, three, six on it. Um, it's really good, but it's just, yeah, it's just a lighter version of the beer that I really like. So can't really put it quite as high as the original. Yeah. Um... Wait, did I go? I went three, seven, three, five. Three, three five. five is what I meant. Three and a half. Um... I'm going to be right in that ballpark. Um, three, seven would buy again. Do enjoy. I, I, I like Mexican honey regular more, I think, but I do like the fact that this isn't as dangerous. I think the citrus is a little sharper on it. It's a, it's a session version of the Mexican honey. And yep. I'm okay with that. Both have their time and place. They're different enough to both, you know, have a purpose for existing. Um, yeah, I think uh, I don't remember what my re- my, uh, my 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 words, my review, my score of regular Mexican honey was, but I'm guessing that's around a four for me, and this is about a three seven. So okay, yeah, it's nice. Um, I just I'd rather the original. Yeah, yeah. No, not bad beer selections for today. I mean. Nothing that blew us out of the water, but both uh, nice light ones. Good mm-hmm. for a, a, a nice spring, almost summer day. Um, and a nice, pretty, outdoorsy movie. So, mm-hmm. but, um, All right, so we still got, what do we got left on our agenda here? We got 
favorite song i think is a default yeah you know um unless you're planning on picking an orchestral piece but no no i mean you're the you're the jazz musician that seems like a you move yeah but now that you called me out on it i can't do it (laughs) do we want to rank villains and then rank the movie maybe yeah um i mean hopper hopper is malicious He, hmm. I think I'm going to put Hopper right below Lotso here for me. Hopper is malicious. He is angry. Um, I don't think he's, he's just mean for the sake of mean. Um, Lotso is manipulative and mean. Sure. Um, Hopper is very straightforward with his intentions Lotso's character worries me a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, just watching Kevin Spacey movies now, granted it's just a voice, but you still know it's Kevin Spacey. It's it's a little weird. Makes yep. him even more villainous, mm-hmm. especially in a children's movie. So, uh, yeah, good, good villain, I don't know about that. I But I'm also going to put him in the same place, right below Lotso, because I think he is, like, the next baddest, most evil of the villains. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess a tie there. And I guess speaking of ties, refresh my memory, because I was looking at the document today. Mm-hmm. But uh, we concluded our Toy Story reviews last week, and I remember that our reviews were the same. Yep. So now we ended with Toy Story 2 in last place. Yep. Followed by Toy Story 4? Uh, 3. 3. 3. 3. And then 4 and then 1. And we argued 4 just because it was prettier more or less. And prettier. more fun new characters. Yep. And it it's more of a standalone. Like, it can kind of exist. Like, you could honestly watch that one not knowing really anything about the rest of it. And it'd be fine on its own. Yeah. It doesn't rely on anything else. It's just a good movie. Mm-hmm yeah so that being said i guess uh do you know where bug's life falls in there for you bug's life's actually gonna come right under toy story 4 for me okay um it's yeah it i don't know i just always have a lot of fun with this movie um there's a lot of dumb jokes a lot of really dumb bug puns that's just yeah they they had a lot of fun with it and i think they knew even going into it that it was going to be kind of a one-off so they kind of they really loaded it in. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of really dumb humor um, that I just loved about it. So, yeah, it's going to go in my number three slot. Nice. All right. Right uh, smack dab in the middle. Not mm-hmm. bad. I think I'm going to be just a little bit below yours. I'm going to put it between Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 2. Just above Toy Story 2. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's age is starting to show. Unlike Toy Story 3 and 4, which are both much more recent films, um, the voice acting in this film, while the cast is good, it just isn't all the big heavy hitters that you get from the Toy Story franchise, especially Toy Story 4, where we're getting people like, you know, Betty White, Mel Brooks, Keanu Reeves, um, Key and Peele, like, it's just, it's different. Yeah. Um, but that being said, it's a pretty movie for its time it's a it's a good story and i definitely have some good giggles with it i mean there's some good characters the the two bugs um 
the the pill bugs tuck and tumble or yep. something like that so funny love those guys they don't understand anything but they're always just smiling except for when they're smacking flick which i thought was very funny there's um, that scene where they like they both pop up on each other and smack them and then like three minutes later they both pop up and kiss him on the cheek yes and on the knees you're fired yo <laughs> says leaves him alone they have poopoo hands hey everybody unfamiliar voice here my name is sam i'm the audio engineer for suds buds presents pints and pixar we had a little bit of a mishap bit of a bug if you will at the end of the recording session and the final moments were not captured onto the memory card uh for that i'm sorry but that's life, you know? Uh, it's a bug's life, if you will. Uh, if you won't, I get it. In any case, hope you enjoyed the episode. Better yet, I hope you had the time of your life. By Randy Newman. The song that's going to start right now. Uh, hoppy drinking? Was a bug, little bug, hardly there. What a dream Who would care Without any evidence His flaws were many He was full of confidence Some people haven't any Didn't have much common sense It's highly overrated He just knew that he'd come through It's the time of your life So live it well
live it well.